Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Welcome to Total Skin Nerds. I'm Amy Risley, the CEO of SkinFix and a first-rate skin nerd myself. On this episode, my guest is Dr. Rita Linkner, a Manhattan-based board-certified dermatologist at Spring Street Dermatology and founder of RVL Skincare, an exciting new line of pads and lip plumpers. But what first drew me to Dr. Linkner was her excellent Instagram account, where she skillfully and passionately explains complex dermatological procedures and trends from the points of view of doctor and patient, both roles she plays herself. Because Dr. Linkner has a knack for talking through the skin issues that consume us, we thought she'd be the perfect resource to unpack the nuances and treatment options for a skin condition that we all deal with and through way more of our lives than any of us would like. I'm talking about acne. From teenage zits to menopausal blemishes, stay tuned now as Dr. Linkner offers curative strategies, definitive prescription advice, and the latest ways to keep scars from forming and lingering. Plus, perfecting the art of the extraction, foam cleansers versus cream cleansers, and what natives from Papua New Guinea can teach us about breakouts. Stick with me, nerds. Don't go away. Well, welcome, Dr. Linkner, to the Total Skin Nerd podcast. We're so very honored to have you here. I know you're super busy. No, thank you for having me. It's such an honor for me to be here, please. Well, we love having you. I know you have two young kids and yes. a very busy practice. Oh, my goodness. It never ends, right? But you got to make time for yourself and important things like this. So I'm so it's an honor to be here. Well, and as dermatologists, you bring the expertise and the credibility to skincare. Then now you have a product line, which yeah. we'll talk about a bit, yeah. RVL, which is no, great. No, and it's such an honor. I think everyone is injecting these days, like yes. everybody. Um, and it's it's nice to be able to reel it back in. And it, it took me 14 years to become a dermatologist. It's just wow. a lot of late nights, hours studying, and figuring out all those nuances about the skin. So it's nice to be able to flex that expertise all yeah. this time later. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's where you get your stamina too. <laughs> Medical school and all of the long hours and the residency right. and all of those things. It's incredible how much you do in the run of a day. So yeah, one of the things that I really loved when I was doing some research about you is that um, you learned from your mother to treat patients like the gold that they are. Yes. I think that was just such a beautiful statement. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, um, she saved it in the first grade. Like, they asked you to, like, paint a picture of what you wanted to be. And it was, like, me next to a patient with an IV in. And I just, ever since I was a little little girl, I always spent time with my mom um, in the hospital. And she's a small woman just like me. And I remember this one day in particular. She's an an anesthesiologist, but she mainly does pain management. They have to wear these very heavy lead vests because they're using fluoroscopy x-ray machines all day long. Right. She was in her four-inch heels wearing the vest all day. I was shadowing her all day. I fell asleep in the car ride home. We got home. She cooked a full Indian meal for dinner, fed me and my sister. And I fell asleep before she did. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, this woman, her stamina, like, yeah. how does she do it? And it's incredible. literally up every morning, 5 o'clock, getting her stuff done to herself. So I guess that's kind of where it started for great, me. But great mentor. Yeah. So today, Dr. Linkner, we're going to talk a bit about acne Perfect. and do a, a deep dive. We get a lot of questions at Skin Fix about acne. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit about 
physiologically what's going on when someone has an acne breakout? Great question. So acne really is a hormonally mediated skin disorder. Um, The reason people kind of pigeonhole acne as a teenage disorder, that's usually when it first comes out and is most pervasive. But I'll tell you realistically, in my waiting room at Spring Street Dermatology, I see a lot of female adult acne. Yes. And that has to do with the change in sensitivity to the male kinds of hormones that all women have, and that sensitivity fluctuates throughout life. To the male hormones? Yes. So testosterone? Testosterone derivatives, yes. Okay, androgens. Correct. Okay. Um, So you see that peak a lot in teenagers. Okay. And teenage acne also has a stronger genetic component to it, so you're more likely to see body acne, more stubborn recalcitrant acne that's not as amenable to topicals. Okay. um, Because you're involving larger sebaceous glands that go beyond the face. Um, So I was someone who struggled with, you know, teenage acne myself. I did Accutane twice. I did it when I was um, 12. My sister was also doing it concomitantly. My mother, who's a doctor, as we said, had seen me start to get a little bit of scarring, and she took the initiative. At that point in time, an anesthesiologist could write for it. Now you can, only a dermatologist can. But she put me on it then. I ended up relapsing in med school. I think it was the stress of moving to the University of Miami and being all on my own. So I did a second fuller course um, in my early 20s. It's been 16 years now since I did my second course. I've had two children. we talk about things that are more curative, um, Accutane falls in that category. I think it's getting more demystified now. People used to be very concerned with the side effect profile, but I will tell you I run like an Accutane clinic in my office. I very comfortably write for it every day. We do a lot of blood work monitoring and hand-holding. So let's talk a little bit about what Accutane is and why it's actually, how it's working to treat the acne and then some of the symptoms because we also get a lot of questions about that, the dry lips, the sort of flaking dry skin, the irritation, the sensitivity. So let's talk about what's going on with Accutane. Perfect. So Accutane is oral vitamin A, and the way vitamin A works to cure people of their acne is it basically resets your oil productivity. Okay. Um, It has a 50% cure rate, which is extremely high. In medicine, you rarely see medications hit that efficacy rate. So 50% of people who take a course of Accutane are cured. They never have to do topicals, birth control, anything. That also means 50% of people live in that other boat where they might do a birth control pill, topical benzoyl peroxide, um, an oral antibiotic course every now and then, or they might do a second course of Accutane. It's not unheard of. The relapse rate is around 20%, and I was someone who fell into that category. Okay. People who are good candidates for Accutane are people who have that genetic component. If you're exhibiting any scarring, um, which is more of a secondary long-term change from acne, then you're a good candidate for Accutane because scarring is A, difficult to treat and B, expensive to treat. Right. Um, And body acne, as we were suggesting earlier, that just suggests that you have a higher oil productivity rate and you kind of need to reset that with Accutane. Okay. Um, side effects. Everyone wants to talk about the side effects with yes. Accutane. Um, you cannot get pregnant on Accutane. Okay. It causes miscarriages and birth defects. So women of childbearing potential have to show that they're on two forms of birth control when they take Accutane if they're sexually active. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so Dr. Linkner, explain to us the link between birth control and acne prevention. So right now there are five um, birth control brands that are FDA approved to treat cystic acne. I reflexively write for ortho tricyclin low. When you see cystic acne, it's the lowest rung on the therapeutic ladder is birth control. Um, You can't be prone to migraines, you can't smoke, you can't have a history of any coagulation issues to be put on birth control. 
But the nice thing is that after that first month of taking birth control pills, it also gives contraceptive protection. Right. So the grand majority of women like that, and and, and it does it does have a pretty high efficacy rate when in terms of treating cystic acne. But it's synergistic with spironolactone, which is the next step on that ladder. And then if Spiro is not something that a patient's responding well to, then you're, you're thinking about Accutane. So that's okay. kind of the therapeutic ladder when you're trying to treat cystic acne. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And how young would you prescribe a low-dose birth control? Uh, because of the issues with being on birth control long-term and fertility, I think the movement now is to just try and do Accutane younger okay. because it's a more manageable, shorter course. And I think it teaches teenagers a lot of responsibility to be taking a pill twice a day with meals. And yes. those are good habits to have when you're in, in your parents' house and learning about before you venture off to college and that responsibility of seeing a doctor every month. and. So I, I see a lot of parents, um, especially on the Upper East Side, liking that, handing that responsibility over to their teenage kids and kids do ex- extremely well. You know, the, the thing with Accutane is it's only the first month you truly purge. After that, your skin clears. And so there's nothing as gratifying as with Accutane because after that first month where patients normally purge to be able to clear someone and of you know what could be a, a long chronic disorder of acne and acne scars, so it's a gratifying medication to be able to prescribe. I imagine. Yeah. And is there a period of time that you would have to be off Accutane before you were to try to get pregnant? So the true half life of Accutane is actually 24 hours. Okay. Um, so not but, very long. But we we tell patients you should wait one menstrual. Okay, um, and that's so. kind of how the, the Accutane, I mean, it's just guidelines just so that it's easier for women to understand once they menstruate that they can go ahead and try and get pregnant again. And is that true of topical vitamin A as well? The half-life of topical vitamin A is even less. Okay. Um, the only topical vitamin A you have to be careful with when you're trying to get pregnant is Tazerac. It's category X. It can cause birth defects. But um, other than that, topicals, just like oral vitamin A, are just used very commonly in dermatology to treat acne. So an over-the-counter Retin-A that you would buy at a Sephora, for instance, would be fine to use during pregnancy, breastfeeding? No. So I I tell patients the only thing you can't really lean on during pregnancy and breastfeeding is vitamin A. Okay. You can use glycolic acid, salicylic acid. It's also common that I'll coach patients to use in in a room. Clindamycin is another active that's safe. Azelaic acid's on that list as well. Um, but or but vitamin A in its topical form should not be used when you're trying to get pregnant, pregnant, or breastfeeding. That's okay. a good question. And the statistics interesting. They say 40% of women um, who never had acne will have acne during pregnancy. So that's another shift in hormone state where you'll start to see acne come about during pregnancy. There's so many different things happening during pregnancy. The stress right. itself, the cortisol changes. Um, right. Um, but pregnancy acne is harder to treat. You're using third, fourth line active ingredients, right? Because you can't use things like benzoyl peroxide and vitamin A, as we were just speaking of. So, okay. so benzoyl peroxide is something that you would also want to avoid. Correct. If you were That's pregnant. on the avoid list. Yes. Okay. Interesting. So, um, so teen acne, Accutane, potential low dose birth control pills, um, clindamycin. But what could you? What else could you do topically to help treat? So it's, if there is any component of cystic acne, yes. then you're you're better off doing something oral. It's okay. just it's not, it won't you get to maybe a sixty percent clearance. You won't get someone all the way to a 80, 90, hundred percent clearance. Right. So that's why you lean more so on Accutane. Um, I do a lot of teenage acne on Accutane. Um, the one thing I always like to look out for is boys should be past their growth spurt. Interesting. Um, you don't want it to be affecting bone growth even. 
the data is not as solidified. It used to be much more strongly against it when you're in your growth sport. Now that Accutane's been FDA approved for almost 30 years, we know it doesn't have a true effect. But I always like to wait because boys, you don't want you don't want that mother coming back to you. And being Better like, safe than yeah. sorry. Right. Um, but Accutane is one of these uh, easier fixative medications, whereas if you talk about birth control or spironolactone, those are more band-aids. Um, you're working on that hormonal pathway and you're mediating it, but you're not you're turning it off. Okay. So the last thing, and I think it's been an epidemic, You, I was on birth control for 12 years, right? And I had some fertility issues where we had to do IVF with our first baby. And yes. so I think there's this big movement away from having, you know, teenagers starting on birth control pills for acne okay. um, and moving towards, you know, more comfortably writing for Accutane for, for teenagers who have both whitehead, blackhead acne, cystic acne, body acne, things like that. Would the growth spurt be equally applicable to young teen girls? Yeah, girls usually peak a little bit earlier yes. than boys do on that. So um, I always tell I always tell parents there are these sweet spots when they're good times to do Accutane in life. Mm-hmm. Um, before college, before you're drinking is a great one. So you don't um, want to drink right, alcohol. Because vitamins get processed through the liver as does alcohol. Okay. So I preach abstinence of, al- of alcohol while you're on Accutane. It's also up until like at post-college, up until the age of 26, when you're still on your parents' insurance plan, that's a nice time to do it yes. too. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I mean, it's one of these medications that when I, when I worked on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, I tapped into this big South American crowd of mothers. And mm-hmm. in South America, it's very common to write for five milligram doses of Accutane to take daily. And these women aren't on birth control and they're just like living their lives drinking every day. Um, not that we advocate for that in the States, but um, it's it's more demystified outside of the U.S. I mean, it's something that you can get over the counter in a lot of foreign countries. Okay. So in my age group, I'm 49, going to be 50 in May. So Dr. Linkner, what would be the sort of typical or optimal dosage of Accutane? Great question. So um, the way Accutane works, and now that there's been 30 years of clinical data on what the actual regimen should be, it's it's weight-based. So we take your weight, we run it through an algorithm, and you have to ingest a total amount of vitamin A proportionate to your weight to hit this cure rate. So most people will start uh, at a 20 milligram dose twice a day, so 40 milligrams in a day, times 30 days in a month, you're ingesting 1,200 milligrams of Accutane your first month. We try and escalate it to 30 milligrams twice a day, and then you tap out at 40 milligrams twice a day, and that's the dose you really coast at for the entire course until you've hit that cumulative dose where you know you've hit your cure rate. And how long is the course typically? So let's take like a 120-pound girl. You're looking at like four months. Okay. So very attainable, right? Yes. Four months is doable, and then it's pretty well taken care of the acne and hopefully right. you don't have a relapse. Women do have to demonstrate two negative pregnancy tests to be written in the prescription. So that's one thing to take note of. Uh, men reflexively, once their blood work is passes with flying colors, they can be written in the re- prescription reflexively. Two consecutively or after two full cycles of? It just it has to be two within 30 days, or it has to be at least 30 days, I should say, um, two negative pregnancy tests in order to be written in the prescription. Okay. And, and that has to do with iPledge, which is the nationwide registry of all people who take Accutane in the country. Um, which also makes women every makes everybody every month go in and answer five multiple choice questions stating that they're not sharing their medication with anybody else, that they understand that they can't get pregnant on the medication. Uh, there's a lot of uh, the most I, we joke like the most depressing thing about Accutane is just eye pledge. It's just such a barrier of entry, I think. But right. 
Um, and it's a lot of work on the office's part to make sure that patients are educated and how to log into the system and monthly are answering these questions. Yes. But if you go to a, a well-run dermatologist's office who's doing blood work in-house, it's, it's a very easy thing to get you through. Could it cause liver damage, though, if you are drinking while on Accutane in theory? Is that so why you... being on Accutane is like drinking two glasses of wine a day. Okay. So if in you're... In terms of the liver and yes. the work that it has to do to process exactly. it. Exactly. Interesting. So if you're drinking on top of that, yes, you could create, you know, full damage. So okay. that we check blood work every single month. And then in terms of extracting your own acne, um, my daughter has one of those comedone extractors yeah. that she has at home. Um, what would you recommend when, you know, there's a whitehead or a blackhead and you're a teenager and you want to get rid of it? I, 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 I mean, my best clients who still come to me still have facialists. You know, I think it's, I don't know if that's a thing of New York City, but... Probably. <laughs> I don't think, think any young teens in Nova Scotia have facialists. Right. But. So it's it's a nice way to just clear out and clog pores. And I'm, dermatologists do this as well. Yes. You, you can go in and bill it under insurance, believe it or not. Okay. Um, but just can, to have extractions. Yeah, and, just to have extractions. And if anything needs a cortisone injection, if it's cystic, that's something that I do very often in the office. Um, when girls have events that night and they just need something, it comes up with your period and you need it to be gone yesterday. Is there a sort of safe way to extract your own? I would. I, I don't advocate for it because a lot of those tools, they, the way we sterilize them in the office is okay. they run through a medical grade solution. They sit in that solution for hours and yes. then they're scrubbed down and they're put in a very high temperature oven yeah. for a period of time so that they're properly sterilized. Yeah. So I always advocate for people to not touch stuff on their own. I think it's easier to get a blemish or a scar if you're doing it on your own. Um, I mean, it took me 14 years to learn how to do an extraction properly. Okay. Um, there's so an art it to it. And let it kind of. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something to say about trying to use like a topical steroid in combination with a vitamin A night cream if you feel like that spot erupting beneath the surface of the skin. Okay. Um, that usually does the trick overnight. That's my personal trick. Um, but if again, if if it is if you are prone to cystic acne, if you're prone to scars, not everybody is, then you should try and figure out a way to access a dermatologist if you can that can you know help you out in a bind so that treat it systemically right. rather because the longer it sits there in place, just the higher likelihood you're going to get a blemish or a scar. It's just inflammation, okay. and that's where the cortisone comes in handy. It turns that inflammation off. Okay, shifting a bit to something that's more closer to my age group is this sort of adult cystic hormonal um, perimenopausal menopausal acne um, you know post-pregnancy what's going on there and it tends in in my experience and in talking to others to be more of the cystic variety which seems to be more embedded in the in the dermis and the epidermis and how do we deal with that uh, so again, it's that sensitivity to the male-derived testosterone hormones that all women have, and that shifting come perimenopausal years. Usually, the women I see who struggle with this are women who had teenage acne. Okay. Um, so it is that stronger genetic component in there. Um, I do. I don't really advocate for birth control at that age group um, without consulting with an OB/GYN if you're above the age of 45. Um, spironolactone is a great option, though. So spironolactone works on the derivative of testosterone, it blocks that receptor so that the testosterone can't hit that receptor. It was originally formulated as a diuretic. Okay. So it makes you pee. So you have to make sure you're drinking lots of water on it. And it's not ideal if you have any kidney issues or if you have low blood pressure. Um, The other thing to know with spironolactone, it's a twice a day dose. So you have to be diligent with that and on top of that for compliance. 
Um, side effects, we do blood work monitoring less intensely than Accutane, but it can increase potassium levels in the blood. So diet-wise, you have to be wary of bananas, coconut water, kale, these cleanses that everyone's doing now. High potassium foods have to be avoided. Okay. Because you can have too much potassium in yes, your system. Yes, and that could cause an arrhythmia. So we, oh, we interesting. Do, yeah. In a young, healthy woman, it's it's overkill doing monitoring, but we, we do it anyway just to be very cautious with it. Um, the nice thing about spironolactone is it doesn't have the dryness. Um, it has a high efficacy rate, too, in terms of treating cystic acne. Okay. It's around 78% of women who take spironolactone see an excellent improvement in their cystic acne within two menstruals. So it's not like overnight like Accutane is, but it does have that high efficacy rate. When combined with a birth control pill, that efficacy goes up to like 90%. And so what is fundamentally the difference between sort of teen pubescent acne and adult hormonal acne? I, there's more of a sebaceous component to it when you're younger. Okay. So that's why you see more body acne. More um, oil production. Exactly. And that burns out a lot over time with life. We just aren't as oily as we grow up. I think everyone can know, like, you had dry skin now. You don't remember having dry skin when you were a little kid, right? Yes, we'd love that oil back. Right. <laughs> um, but also, I think there's so much in skincare now that's oil-based, and people are getting that so wrong. Um, if you're acne-prone, you should not be using oils. It's just adding fuel to that fire. But if you walk into Sephora, Blue Mercury, everything is oil-based these days, right? Everyone wants to be organic and do, do things with tea tree oil, which was allergen of the year in 2014. I mean, it, it's just such a conundrum that a lot of what I do in the room is just educating patients and creating skincare routines. Yes. So I, I truly believe a true skincare routine is five steps in the morning and five steps at night. Okay. Um, Let's talk we, a bit about what those steps look like right. if you're acne prone. So if you're acne prone, cleanser is the first step morning and night. Yes. You should be looking for something that foams. Um, foaming cleansers just signify that they're a detergent. They're bringing your skin level to a pH where you're actually cleaning out pores and you're decreasing oil production. So foams are better than like a cream cleanser, for instance. And there are sulfate-free right. foams. That will totally. And listen, if you're eczema prone, though, you should be using something that's cream-based, right? You don't need to be doing such a harsh detergent-like job cleaning out those pores. Um, step two, I really truly believe in eye cream. I wish I was younger when I started eye cream, but eyelid skin is the thinnest on a woman's body. So you have to use the right product and that varies. Some women are just crepey, others are, have dark circles. Um, so whatever the main issue at hand is should be addressed with the eye cream. But again, it should be morning and night. And you would recommend putting the eye cream on the lid itself? You stay on bone, but upper, upper and lower lid, ideally. And there should never be vitamin A in an eye cream. If you ask me, it's just too thin on a woman's body to, okay, to warrant that. Interesting. So no retinol in correct, an eye cream. Correct. Um, step three in the morning I is, is sunscreen. So it should be something that goes on the skin every single day. Everyone says As to me. As a separate product versus in a makeup or correct. in a CC cream. Yeah, you don't want to double dip on that stuff, right? So you want a product that's your dedicated sunscreen. I get this question all the time. I'm in an office building. I go from my subway to the office and I'm home. I'm not outside. There's a lot of data coming out now that infrared heat is actually a big ager of the skin and it causes melasma and things like that. So these newest stage of sunscreens is at adding in infrared blockers, which is really interesting. Okay. And there's blue light as well, right. which you're exposed to daily from your screen. Exactly. So and f even it's that heat energy when you're standing next to a stove or a fireplace, um, it damages the skin. So it's nice to be able to use a sunscreen that's going to give you that additional blocker on it. And what is 
the ingredient in an infrared. So it's derived from an algae called Thermophilus that lives in very, very high temperature hot springs in the ocean. And certain skincare lines have basically mixed the algae into their sunscreens, which is it's new technology. Very cool. Yeah, super cool. After sunscreen in the morning, I believe in vitamin C. Um, vitamin C is what makes your sunscreen work harder and stronger throughout the day, so they should be coupled together. And Dr. Linkner looks like she's in her early 20s. <laughs> For those who can't see her right now. It's all the stuff <laughs> in my face. It's working its magic. So. You look amazing. <laughs> so can you clarify the difference between good blue light and bad blue light? So blue light falls in like the visible light spectrum um, and it's mainly been shown to be anti-inflammatory. So I think the crossover is infrared heat which is what emanates off of light bulbs, iPhones, computer screens. That's what's being shown now in the literature to age and discolor the skin. Okay. So, so there's it's just not the blue light. No, actually. it's more infrared heat technology that you should be more wary of. And that's why this newest stage of sunscreens is adding in that thermophilus algae into it to start protecting people beyond UVB and UVA light, which is what we all know about and what regular physical blocking sunscreen does, is now nice to be able to add that extra layer of protection that's anti-aging you almost. And what better, what better way to convince someone to use sunscreen but to tell them that it anti-ages you. And at the end of the day, the best active ingredient you can put on your face is actually sunscreen. And that's what the data shows in terms of skin cancer and melanoma and things like that. Um, but in terms of fine lines and wrinkles, too, it's just very important to be using a sunscreen every single day. Okay, so that was great clarification. So blue light is actually potentially helpful. Correct. It's the infrared heat. Right. That we should getting be getting from our devices, yeah. which we haven't really heard about. Well, you, all these women are going to infrared saunas, right? right. And you, you go to Bikram Yoga, and they're elevating the temperatures up to crazy temperatures. Yes. It's, it's not healthy for your skin. Okay, so infrared saunas are not good for the skin. No, it causes a lot of melasma. So whenever I see melasma in young girls now, I mean, yes, birth control is a huge contributor. Do not get me wrong. Right. But the second question I ask is, after are you on birth controls, so are you sitting in these infrared saunas? Wow. There's a huge disconnect. People think it's healthy. It helps lymphatic drainage. I, I mean, I can tell you you, it ages your skin. So okay. not not ideal if you're someone who's looking to age in reverse. <laughs> Just probably all of us, <laughs> realistically. <laughs> so we're talking about melasma, which occurs often when you're taking birth control, when you're pregnant, it can happen. Right. Lots of people are prone to it. I was very prone to it in pregnancy. Right. Tell us a little bit, Dr. Linker, about what melasma is. So melasma is skin discoloration that's commonly seen on the cheekbones, on the forehead, and then notoriously on the upper lip, where it gives that impression that you have like a mustache when there's no hair there. Yes. Um, it is hormonally mediated, so you see it most commonly in women on birth control, but it's activated by UV exposure and infrared heat exposure. It's, it's, it's very common in women, but you will see it in men often of Asian descent. It's, it's common to see in men as well. Okay, interesting. Do hyperpigmentation topicals help with melasma in your opinion yeah so my favorite ones to use and part of the reason that these are that's what i kind of based this uh rvl skincare is um alpha hydroxy and beta hydroxy acid so glycolic acid is a great way to function as a brightening agent um it does really help to with oil production, yes, so if you're acne prone, but beyond that, it really helps to target melasma. The nice thing to know about glycolic acid is it's pregnancy safe. Um, so there are pads that I sell called pregame pads. They're 5% straight glycolic acid. They are pregnancy safe. And 5% is okay in pregnancy? Yeah, you can, I mean, you could go. We do um, glycolic acid peels in the office that are 40% on pregnant women. Okay. Um, stronger, yes, you might actually peel, but when you're using a 5% pad, you shouldn't see that visibly, that visible exfoliation. And what about salicylic in pregnancy? Okay. Um, 
you know, you should talk to your dermatologist. I will fight with some. There's some notorious ob on the Upper East Side who will tell patients not to use it. There are a lot that tell them that it's safe, though. Okay. So I always consult with an ob But it's, remember, salicylic acid is a salicylate, right? So like acetaminophen, you know, it's all derived. And these are pregnancy-safe things to be taking. So, um, but again, you, I don't like stepping on toes when it comes to these ob on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So I always consult with them when I a- ask patients who are acne-prone to start salicylic acid. Okay. Let's talk about food for a minute, Dr. Linkner, because I'm a big believer in food as medicine or food as potential pathogen, and I've had a lot of experience in my own life right. treating things with diet and avoiding certain foods. And there's been a big link between high glycemic foods and dairy Correct. and acne. So let's talk a little bit about that. I struggle with trying to convince my son right. <laughs> that eating lots and lots of carbs right. and pizza um, is probably not great for, for acne. Right. So how, what are the links there? And, and do you think that there's something to shifting your diet? Of any of the chronic skin disorders that you study, the only one that really has a true basis with diet that's been proven over and over is with acne. Okay. Um, the most interesting study that I, I like to talk to my patients about is there's a, a population of natives in Papua New Guinea that yes. has a very low glycemic plant-based diet, and there's never been acne demonstrated in the population. Um, so yes, these high glycemic diets that are very characteristic of Americans are contributing to acne. Interestingly enough, it's in terms of dairy, it's considered skim milk more so than whole milk. It has to do with how they lessen the fat content in it and the correlation. Sugar content. Yeah, but it, it also translates with cheese and dairy and um, yogurt as well. So if you have a patient who's eating a lot of you know, ice cream and things like that, it's worth thinking about cutting it out to maybe just one meal portion a day. Um, I don't I don't see a lot of people coming in and making diet changes in that fist fixing everything. I think it's something that, it's a multifactorial kind of skin disorder and it adds to it. Um, the other thing that I see a lot of these teenagers using are a lot of whey protein additives into... Yes. Um, into juicing and things like, yes. And so that's also something that's a big thing to make sure that you're asking patients who are struggling with acne. Every now and then you'll, you'll get a really lucky patient who's depending on whey protein, you knock it out and their acne goes away. But overwhelmingly, I think, you know, when you're coming, if you're coming to a dermatologist, you haven't figured it out on your own. Um, you're most likely going to walk out that door with a prescription. Right. Well, it's at least something to consider. Correct. I think if, you know, if you're going to your prom or you're going to a big event and um, if it could potentially be of a help to scale back on the milk you're drinking or shift to a nut milk or right. um, some sort of other dairy source. Uh, it was just interesting to me that it wasn't until 2016 that the American right. Academy of Dermatology actually listed it as a potential um, treatment was to avoid certain foods. It just hadn't been proved yet. It, and yes. it was a question that had been investigated and investigated, and it wasn't until those large cohort randomized studies yes. that were actually showing that it was not just a confounding factor. So yes, I agree with you. It, it is newer message that you have to carry over into, into the exam room and make sure patients are aware of. Okay. Uh, one of the th- questions that we get all the time, and I'm sure you deal with a lot, and you've talked a bit about, is scarring. Right. Um, and you did a really interesting study that was published in the JDD about um, using topicals and microdermabrasion to right. treat acne scarring. So um, the study was interesting. You know, 
the thing with acne, the reason I love it so much is that at the end of the day, it's a cosmetic kind of skin disorder, right? And treating scarring is very challenging. And not yes. everybody scars. Yes. It's actually a genetic component to it. The study itself was done with microdermabrasion along with aminolevulanic acid. So um, ALA is something that's topically applied to the skin and then gets activated by blue light. You basically put someone in front of a blue light for 10,000 seconds, which equates to 16 minutes and 16 minutes and 40 seconds. Okay. And it the blue light activates the ALA to initiate this massive anti-inflammatory effect. And what is ALA? Um, ALA is it's a plant-based derivative that has been shown when topically and it not only activates with blue light but UV light too. So that's important to let patients know if you're doing it over summer months. Um, but when it integrates into skin cells, it turns off reactive o oxygen species, so it's just very anti-inflammatory. That being said, it, that it, it's been shown blue light even alone is very anti-inflammatory for acne. It works on the bacteria that is notorious for causing acne called P. acnes and is able to to murder P. acnes within the skin cell, um, mm. which is interesting. A lot of pregnant women who are on these third and fourth line topical treatments oftentimes will put them in front of just a blue light. Um, for 16 minutes and 40 seconds a couple of times a week, and it can help them during pregnancy, and it's considered pregnancy safe. And is that something you could do at home? Is there any... It's medical grade. It's okay. this massive light that, like, it works like a C, and it encompasses your entire head. Um, okay. You have to wear protective eyewear with it. Um, going back to the study, it was just it was interesting to be able to show that we did um, a mock. On one side, there was no ALA. On one side, there was ALA. And we were able to show on photography, which is really hard to show, mm. um, that the side that had the activated ALA, that the scarring improved. And it was- By 80%? Right. And yeah. it was the type of thing that we could get graders to actually notice on photography. So it was Amazing. a lot of parameters. And it was a small cohort. It was my research, um, my residency research product, project. But So is this something that's being done in office now, the ALA and microdermabrasion to treat acne scarring? I think the now the technology to treat acne scars is really relying on um, microneedling with radiofrequency energy. So okay. this is kind of one of those trends in 2020 that we can touch on now. Yes. So um, microneedling kind of started when I graduated residency about five years ago, the vampire facial became like a big in vogue treatment. It was like Kim Kardashian just made it. She like took all that blood and smothered it all over her face and everyone the next day wanted to come in and get their vampire facial done. Um, now the technology basically has been made laser grade, meaning you're taking needles, you're stamping them in the skin. Every time it stamps to a depth of up to three millimeters in the skin, which is deep, you're delivering radio frequency energy. So into scars, into loose skin, um, into fine lines and wrinkles even, things that are more superficial you can target. Um, the needles themselves are coagulating blood, so it's bloodless which is amazing, so there's no downtime. So what do you mean by they're coagulating blood? What does that mean? So the needles are driving in and out of blood vessels. You want to go okay. to a depth where blood vessels live because okay. that's how you stimulate new collagen growth. Okay. Um, but as opposed to old school vampire facials, it, you, you get off the table and there's not a drop of blood on you. Um, the blood itself is just being coagulated by the needles, so it doesn't come to the surface of the skin. Okay. Um, the downtime with a lot of these platforms now, there is none. It's amazing. You can come in, you can numb for 10 minutes, you can do the procedure in 15 minutes, you can be back at your desk within your lunch break. And that can help with acne scarring and as you said, loose skin, wrinkles. Poor size, um, fine lines and wrinkles. It's it's this lifting, tightening effect too. Interesting. And if you're doing this stuff earlier and earlier, you're not gonna need that full-blown overhaul when you're in your 60s at a plastic surgeon's office. So it's that movement towards doing. Which is nice. Yeah. And so poor size, I've always thought that that's something that you can't actually 
decrease. Oh no, you totally can. Yeah. With this particular therapy. Yeah, and there there are a couple of topicals that have been been able to show um, efficacy with pore size. So glycolic acid is one, and vitamin A is the other. So those are two really important ingredients to have in your skincare routine if you're prone to acne, large pores, things like that. And for my daughter's benefit, Dr. Linkner, what do you think about people microneedling at home? So it goes back to people doing extractions at home. Yes. I, I mean, I don't know how people will be cleaning these things, right? And exactly. I've seen a lot of the, <laughs> the newer age ones I've seen are actually disposable, which I like a little bit better. But you have to remember, when to, to hit the depth where you're stimulating new collagen, you have to bleed. Um, you have to hit the papillary dermis, which is the layer, middle layer of skin in order to get new collagen to be born. So let's um, not do that at home. Right. And I don't think you can do that comfortably at home without proper medical grade numbing. Uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is making, make your scars worse, right? By just trying to do this on a budget or something by yourself. Talk a little bit about the mommy makeover. Uh, in, right. the, in my day, it was the tummy tuck boob job. Right. You know. 15 years ago, but what's what's happening with that today? So when I started out of residency, um, I was on park between 86 and 87th, and there were 13 plastic surgeons and dermatologists on that block. Oh my and I was like, how the hell am I going to get these Upper East Siders to start coming to me? Um, so I read this great book, Why She Buys. I don't know if you've ever read this book. Yeah. It's a great marketing book. And you never take, no one teaches you marketing when you're in, in med school, right? But this, the entire premise of the book is that if you can tap into a mom, you can tap into the entire family and all that spending power. And that women are just so detail-oriented and experiential. Hmm. So if you, can, if you can really relate to a woman when you have her at that consultation, that's amazing. But if you can keep that message lingering after she walks out of the door, that's like the coup d'etat, right? So I started figuring out, like, who, might, who could I possibly attract? I'm not going to get these women that have been going to this dermatologist for 20 years. I'm going to get women just like me who, because mommy makeover is really a very important entry point into cosmetics. The only one that comes before that is wedding prepping, which is very common for first-time injectables. But a lot of women don't do that, and they wait until they are had their first baby, and they've it's that massive weight gain and then that sudden weight loss. It ages you, and that 40-week period of being pregnant, you really go through a lot in that survival mode period in that first year thereafter. Um, so we talk a lot about Yes, baby Botox, but more so fillers. Um, a lot of hollowness and deflation that occurs with that weight loss needs to be corrected for in terms of refilling the fat pads that you've lost and creating balance and proportions again. It's this idea, though, that you could, when you're young, you don't need more than a syringe. And I, I think a lot of what women get nervous about with doing injectables younger is this pillowy-faced look that you see constantly when you walk around the Upper East Side of Manhattan. We, we all know the yeah, look. <laughs> it's terrifying. And I spend most of my day teaching women that th- th- that, that person has six, seven, eight syringes in her face. And I, I say a lot of no's in, in my exam room. I don't want those people in my waiting room, honestly. That's not the message I'm trying to portray. I think it's my generation of millennial cosmetic dermatologists that are reeling people in. Like, less is truly more. That might mean you see me more frequently and we do smaller things, but the big pictures to make you look like you on your last day of vacation, like 365 days a year. Um, so I very commonly just started putting myself on my Instagram and going through like all the motions about what I was dealing with having these two little kids. And it just started resonating with people. And I was finally capturing girls that I was like eyeing on Instagram. They were finally coming in to see me and, and it, it kind of just, you know, took off from there. But 
the idea of mommy makeover beyond the face, things that I've done, for instance, um, I put Sculptra, which is a semi-permanent filler, in my butt. Um, after my second baby, I could not stand the stretch marks that I had on my butt. And I've had them since I was like 12 for my growth spurt, but they definitely worsened with both pregnancies. And I was like, in a bathing suit, this is what bothers me the most. So let's fix this. Did you do that yourself? No, the only injections that, would that be I do. Really <laughs> tough. I see you on Instagram doing a lot of things to yourself. So I do but my that own. I don't know how you do. I do my own neuromodulators, like Botox and Dysport yes. fillers. I would never do to myself. Okay. I think you see a lot of like kind of scary dermatologists walking around out there who are injecting themselves. But it, the angles, the depth, where you have to go with fillers, and when you need to stop. That's why I go to like close girlfriends to do, to do this stuff with me. But that being said, with the sculpture in the butt, um, and it's this idea just, you know, when you look at the Kardashians and you look at how voluptuous they are, they, they probably have close to 25 or if not 30 vials of sculpture in each butt cheek. Wow. I'm someone who ended up putting five in on each side. And just like the face deflates and ages, mm. I mean, women realize this, your butt deflates and ages. Um, so using sculpture not only to lift my buttock, but also to treat the stretch marks in such a way where the injections are done to break down that tethering between the stretch marks. I mean, it worked wonders for me, just having done two treatments. The coolest thing about Sculptra and why it's it's more considered non-invasive now and so attractive to clients is that it's semi-permanent. So you're stimulating collagen that lasts between two to five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. And um, normal fillers are what's Normal hyaluronic span? acid fillers. Honestly, I've people who are heavy exercisers, you might go six months or nine months. You metabolize you know. it right. quickly. Exactly. So. so one of the things that strikes me, just to segue for a second, there's a lot of emotions that come with the patient through your practice, through your door every day. Um, you've got teenagers that are dealing with acne and you know, it's such a psychological um, roller coaster of a time of life. And then they've got acne to boot. And then you've got moms who've just gone through the changes of pregnancy and, and right. possibly don't recognize their body. Totally. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you talk to your patients and sort of how you tackle the psychological aspects of right. skincare and skin concerns. Right. So I, it's funny. I just like, I really like just connecting with people in the room and I'm the type of person that I'm going to ask you like where you grew up, what you, you know, what you do for work. It's all of those variables are so important to creating a game plan for what we're going to do, not just in that visit that day, the next time I see you six months from now, a year from now. Um, but it's true. I, the skin is just so visible to everybody and it kind of shows what you're going through. Um, and it's such a power to be able to create beauty and to correct things like psoriasis or acne and really change somebody's life. Um, so that's why the field that I'm in is just, it's, it's an unbelievable field, especially for a mother, especially for a woman. But um, I would add on a probably another really important entry point into cosmetics is like, I, I'm seeing a lot of these divorced people coming into it, right? Yes. Who are trying to resurface and recreate and rebuild and renew. And so, it's it's nice to be able to catch people with these life changes if it's a wedding if it's a pregnancy if it's divorce whatever it is and help someone through that a lot of what I, my job is is like therapy and I think a lot of the reason people come to me is for retail therapy right Absolutely. It's, I, I mean I can barely find time to do this stuff for myself but it feels good when I finally make that time for myself so um, there, it's it's a huge part of my day is not just putting the gloves on and holding the needle in my hand it's like 
you know, that's literally 5% of it. Um, but all of the rest. So I'm notorious, like I give my cell phone number out to every patient, right? Oh, wow. Like a tic-tac. And I've only regretted it once in five years. <laughs> but, um, but it's nice that I, I do follow up with everybody the next day, myself. On it's text? Or on, I text with everybody. It's amazing. And it's, it's really time consuming, but patients love it. And it's this high touch kind of concierge care where people think it's a premium and they, they're willing it to come. It is a premium. Yeah. That's incredible. And so how many patients do you see in the run of a day? Um, right now I'm at like probably 12 to 15, okay. which is a really nice happy medium. I, I like doing a full 45 minute cosmetic consult. I think it, you, you, you come in, it's, that's the amount of time required for me to understand who you are and where you want to go and for us to figure out what we're going to do over a course of a year. And then thinking about someone's budget you know what they do for work how much downtime can they truly afford it's a lot of strategy yes. and figuring out everyone always asks me I mean the first thing I do is I hand people a mirror and I ask them to delineate like number one number two number three what bothers you when you look in the mirror right and invariably all women have the same three complaints so it's it's lines folds and complexion it's just all every woman puts it in a different order that pertains to her and then the the, always the fourth thing that happens is women ask me, you know, what would you do if you were in my shoes? And I, nev I never answer that question, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, I punt it back to the patient. You're investing in yourself, your image. You should go home and look in the mirror at the end of the day. And you should be checking off boxes in the order that you think you should be checking them off with. And it sounds like you learned a lot of that from watching your mom yes. and her bedside manner. But totally. there's such a bedside manner to dermatology that... Right. We often, I, I don't think. Yeah. And this, it's a cosmetic on. jungle up here. It's crazy. It's just that <laughs> everyone's doing this. So you have to figure out where you where you live in this universe and you have to just tra attract people to you and yes. create create desire for people to want to like never, ever leave you. So. I'm sure that's not a problem for you because you have that Trying charisma. To, yeah. Thank that. you. You're so sweet. So for those that love to pop their own zits, mm -hmm. <laughs> you were talking about how there's a real art to extraction. It took you 14 years right. to learn how to properly extract acne from the skin. So talk to us about what that art entails. Um, one of my biggest secrets, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it here for you guys on your Skin Nerds podcast, is I, I love telling patients um, to use a little bit of a topical steroid on an extracted cystic pimple to really, truly make it disappear yesterday. That anti-inflammatory effect on an extracted pimple can make it, it can take what would usually take like 72 hour course to run itself down till maybe 24 to 36 hours so that's one other tip um, and that's sort of a one percent hydrocortisone cream yeah you could you, oftentimes you could go over the counter with that stuff yes okay. yeah so just a low dose hydrocortisone cream yeah. could help totally. take that inflammation down after you've extracted correct dr linkner thank you so much we covered so much in a short period of time i don't know how you keep that all <laughs> in your brain uh, no, it was so much fun honestly it was great. It was wonderful to talk to you. We really appreciate you no, taking the time out of your very busy schedule. And we look forward to seeing you at Spring Street Dermatology. Yes. I can't wait to hear the podcast. Can't wait to hear it. We can't wait as well. <laughs> Thank you again. You can learn more about Dr. Linkner's work, innovations, and products at www.rvlskincare.com and www.springstreetderm.com. I learned so much from talking with Dr. Linkner. Here are three things I can't stop thinking about. 
One, I love the idea of bedside manner being so important and hearing a dermatologist acknowledge the psychological impact of skin conditions. We'll want to explore that topic much more in future episodes. Stay tuned. Two, from microneedling with radio frequency to 10,000 seconds in front of a medical grade blue light, it's always fascinating to me to hear what treatments are cutting edge, which are worth trying, and which are just well-publicized hype backed by powerful celebrity endorsements. It's great that there are doctors like Dr. Linkner out there who can put aside that hype and explain things in terms of science. I'm always grateful for a concise, digestible, scientific verdict like the ones she offers. And third, the idea of morning and evening routines for skincare, whether it's for acne prevention or a host of other issues, is simple yet significant. Dr. Linkner's routine is five parts. Yours might only be one or two, but I think it's great practice just to set aside that time in the name of paying attention and creating good habits with regard to your skin. To have Dr. Linkner answer your acne questions, follow us and DM us on Instagram at SkinFixInc. Watch our feed for her answers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Total Skin Nerds. Please come back next time and please subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. Total Skin Nerds is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Catherine Spears, Kara Canning, Jane Meredith, Megan Collins, and Ginny Chen. And I'm your host, Amy Risley. Till next time, nerds. Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Total Skin Nerds is a podcast created to educate. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice. If you are looking for help with a skin concern, we would encourage you to seek the advice of a board-certified dermatologist, functional medical practitioner, or other qualified healthcare provider. You can find a registry of board-certified dermatologists in the U.S. at find find-a-derm.aad.org and in Canada at dermatology.ca. For a registry of qualified functional medical practitioners, you can visit ifm.org. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope that you enjoy listening to Total Skin Nerds as much as we enjoy making it.